Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. This is pretty much pop, a culture podcast giving nightmares to intelligent children since 2019. Oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Today we're talking about Pinocchio, the 1883 story by Carlo Collodi and its many film versions by Disney, Guillermo del Toro, Roberto Benigni, and others. I'm Mark Lintonmeyer, and I'll know I'm a real boy when I suddenly like sports. <laughs> you don't like sports? Wait, no, 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 no. You don't like sports, Mark? Not, not particularly. Wow. I'm the same. I'm Al Baker speaking to you. Whoa! You don't like sports, Al? You don't like soccer? <laughs> no, no, not really. My blood. I'm sorry, keep going, Al. I'm a nerd. I only play Dungeons & Dragons. I'm Al Baker speaking to you from the belly of a giant whale or possibly a giant dogfish. It's not entirely clear. My name is Sarah Limbrick. I'm a writer and a writing professor, and I've got no strings on me. Very nice Avengers callback. My name is Lawrence Ware, and I'm a professor. I'm also now a director of Africana Studies and a writer. Ooh. Yeah, I know. Impressive. And I have nothing clever to say because I didn't think of anything. you got to save all your brain energy for those fancy new academic positions you've got. Yeah, holy moly. Lawrence, color me impressed. Yeah, it's not that impressive. It's not. So we had this planned a while back because of the confluence of movies coming out. When the holidays rolled around, I didn't actually feel like using them just watching Pinocchio movies. So I pushed this off yet another week with the proviso of, you guys got to read the original story. The original story is the trippiest children's it's, story. It's so weird. It is. So <laughs> I had such a good time with that. It's, <laughs> it's so strange. Sarah Lynn, as a writing professor, do you have any notes for Mr. <laughs> well, <laughs> um, it was published in installments. Yeah. Let me How say that How much time do we have? <laughs> You know, I took, um, when I was getting my master's, I ended up taking a, a course in fairy tales and stuff like that. And how dark Pinocchio is. And I am astounded at some of the stuff that was written, you know, 100, 150 years ago, that it was meant for children, stuff that would never fly today. It was a pretty trippy read. As a writing professor, what's your opinion on how many times in the same chapter you can really get away with saying that something is beyond description? <laughs> Because he does it a lot. Is he Lovecraft? A lot. Is that- <laughs> Very he Lovecraft. He did seem a little bored by the end. He seemed pretty, pretty over it. <laughs> As were we all. I think it goes on. I think it has been rightly uh, shortened. But, you know, the stuff you would remove are some of the craziest scenes of him being made into a guard dog for some reason. <laughs> and him being okay with that and actually performing as a, as a good guard dog and not making a deal with the foxes who want to get into the hen house. Who would know? But it's a moral test. It does feel like the moral tests come in like four or five different fairly strict genres, one of them being you get turned into a different kind of animal and see how you like that. You think that's the test or that's the punishment? I thought that was... It felt like the punishment. I didn't like the stories very much. I mean, I like the most recent movie by... Del Toro, uh, mm-hmm. quite a bit. I thought that was pretty good. But the original story, I don't know how anyone read that and was like, yo, let me turn this into a movie. It didn't go for me at all. It was really strange. Yeah, didn't stop Roberto Benini. Yeah, that's true. And Bernini's movie is terrible, man. It's terrible. You might as well get that out of the way. So that was the other thing that I sort of urged you folks, because this is an unfilmable book, you know, literally. And so Disney, I just watched the original Disney version last night. And they did not even try. No, they didn't. No. Like, it was just like, here are a a few of the gestures, Mm -hmm. and then we're going to tell our own story, and we're going to take our time with, like, watching that little kitty cat be cute and stuff like that. And that flirty goldfish. (laughs) They do lean in pretty hard to the the horror in the, what's it called, the boys' fun town that they all go to when when they're all turning into donkeys. Yes, Pleasure Island. Yeah. Yeah, they do. That's pretty, I just watched that this afternoon, and I was surprised at how dark that felt. Mm-hmm. It is. And it was also, it somehow 
worse in the live action Disney version. Hmm. Like those hulking, whatever they were, those shadow guys. The smoke monster <laughs> were lost. truly frightening. Yeah. And I went back and watched, because, yeah, I ended with the anim- the 1940 animated version yesterday. And it, it was still pretty scary, but it was much more frightening in the live action one. That whole scene was just nightmare inducing. The 1940s animated one's pretty good. I, I kind of liked it. I mean, maybe I'm nostalgic, but I kind of liked that one. The most recent one with, uh, was it Tom Hanks? I think it is. That was yes. really bad. My kids hated it as well. The most recent one is my favorite. But I mean, what I'm getting is that they're taking like the broad strokes of the story and filling in what they want inside of it. But the actual story itself, you can't make a movie out of that. It's not filmable. So Roberto Benigni, after Life is Beautiful had won an Oscar, did that. And it has almost every single story point. And it's terrible. For, from the original. Yes. And it has a 0% Rotten Tomatoes, which just Wait, means. the 2002 version, right? Yes, Where he yes. is Pinocchio. As a 50-year-old right. man, by the way. He's 50. <laughs> which it just means. Which is weird. That's weird. 0% doesn't mean the worst possible movie. It just means nobody actually liked it. Yeah. But it could be 49%. Like, I, it had some good things, but it still is not pleasant to watch. And that's how I interpret it. I happen to have purchased that one when blockbuster would sell used dvds you bought it blockbuster would sell cheap dvds back in the day Mm -hmm. and so like oh i have wanted to see this you know after life is beautiful and hearing that this was his passion project that it was a very big budget and i showed it to my kids and they were just like this is bad this is just bad things (laughs) keep happening to him like it's pacing is so terrible but that's because the original story is so terrible and yet somehow the new Italian directors where Benini was Geppetto, but he was not one of the filmmakers. Right. Still had a lot of those story beats, much better special effects. And I thought managed to make something that was quite watchable and even touching. That one I thought was great. I loved the amount of nightmare fuel in it. All of the, <laughs> the, the visuals were absolutely horrifying. Yes. But I'm really confused because that was also made by someone called Benini. Is that the same person? He played Geppetto. Roberto Benigni. He played I Geppetto. Noticed he, he was not the director or the writer in it. So I'm sure yeah. he was responsible for it being made in some way. I don't know actually the history of it, but you know, I would not see it as his second try at making the movie, despite the fact that he's in both. I see, I see, I see. I find him just personally kind of annoying as a performer, but I really liked him in the Geppetto role. I thought he was great as Geppetto. Wow. But that story still as... The Pinocchio story that really came from the books, it felt disjointed to me as a movie. Mm-hmm. I, I thought it was it was better, certainly better. I, I actually watched the uh, Polly Shore version. <laughs> I did not get oh through that. God. I took 10 minutes wow. of that. And that was enough of my life. Oh, yeah, yeah. But the newer Italian version, I thought actually was was pretty good. It reminded me a lot of... I don't know if any of you watched Alice in Wonderland, the live action 1972 version, where they had actual human beings dressed up as like the rabbit and playing cards and stuff like that. And it's kind of nightmarish in a way. It felt very similar. And the reading that I've done on Pinocchio, it sounds like Pinocchio was very much influenced by Alice in Wonderland. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to hear from you guys. What do you think it is about this story? that makes so many people want to tell it in a film. Is it really the 1940s animated version that's kind of fueling what's happening now? Like, why are people trying to make films of this weird-ass story? such a good question. I thought about that, and I think one interesting way of going about answering this might be to talk more about the Del Toro movie. Mm -hmm. I think the movie he managed to make was a really good job at taking the Pinocchio story and making it work for modern children in a way that probably previous iterations of the story don't. And what I think that indicates is that the story of Pinocchio is genuinely timeless. If you can take like the key story beats and ultimately come out with a completely inverted moral compared to the original story and to most of the other film versions of these ones I've seen, I think that tells you that what you've got is a really proper Jungian archetype kind of fairy story that people will just be able to tell forever. Hmm. Yeah, I agree. It's something that you can kind of reinterpret, update. And I love that version as well. I was looking at all of the different themes and every single one of these movies that I watched. And that one just really, I loved how he turned it on top of its head. 
I really want to know what your thought about the historical setting that Del Toro chose to use. At first, I was, yeah. was really unsure, but then I decided I loved it. But I want to know what you guys think. Well, okay, me, I loved it because I know the history, but I wonder if people like contemporarily watching that, especially kids, have any idea what this, what's going on there. Do they understand whatsoever what he's doing with the historical kind of setting? But is this a movie for kids, though? <laughs> Mm. I don't know that this is necessarily uh, a movie a for children. Lawrence, did your kids watch this new version? Yeah, they watched it. They loved it. Okay. They loved it, yeah. Really? How old are your kids? The youngest is seven, the middle one is 11, and the oldest one is 14. Okay. So they're on the upper age. Yeah, but still. Them. I mean, and I loved it. I mean, I genuinely think that is a kid's movie, even though I'm not sure if kids will understand all of it. Well, there might be something about dealing with loss. It's in Bambi. It was in kids' movies for a long time, and then it was it became foreboding. Oh, my gosh. Bambi is so – it traumatized the shit out of me, man. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, well, it became forbidden for exactly that reason, that you can't really deal with loss in a real way. And so Del Toro is trying to do this, and it shouldn't be surprised that it actually does resonate with kids. Like, hmm. it is a real thing. <laughs> and so having that reflected in a way that they can – have some distance from. I mean, they're not going to entirely identify with an immortal wooden boy who has to stick around <laughs> while everybody around him grows old and dies. Like, they're more likely to have heard that from some other sci-fi property by the time they're 10. But even if we're going back to the significance of fascism and authoritarianism, that is still, unfortunately, resonates today. You know, that's something that we are yeah, still, that's, that's something that you can absolutely link back up to. And, you know, if you're looking at who are the real puppets, it's the humans who are the real puppets in this version, right? And so that's something that's as modern as you can get. And just to your point, Lawrence, about like whether kids are going to grasp the significance of all, of all the fascist history that Del Toro is playing with, I'm thinking now about the sound of music and other kind of family kids. So oh, yeah. I'm not a parent, but it strikes me that the use of family or children's movies such as this is it might give you an opportunity to say, hey, by the way, this is who Mussolini was. And maybe it's kind of important that you know that. But is it important? Well, I wonder if it goes over different. Yeah. For different audiences in different countries and whether the fact that it is presented as this is happening in a foreign land, right, to the English speakers makes a difference. I noticed this sort of getting at, I don't know, xenophobia. I don't know exactly what this is, but mm -hmm. when January 6th happens, it's like, I know there are going to be limits to this. Like, this is surprising. There are crazy people, but you think this is going to be controlled. When the same thing just happened with Bolsonaro, In Brazil. I don't know anything yeah, about Brazil. True. True. As far as I know, they could just have a complete revolution and topple the government right there. Because yeah, yeah. like, so it true. seems like, oh, it can't happen here. Well, as far as we know, it can happen anywhere else. <laughs> so <laughs> talking about that, it's World War II times and it's in Italy, at least for an English speaking audience, probably that seems like who knows what could happen. You know, when you're talking about historical fiction in quote, like that is when crazy stuff happens. I don't know that that it will resonate with the children that that could happen here or that that really has a direct we're not at war in this way that war this fever is sweeping the land. That's just something we see in historical documentaries about the, you know, rubber drives and, you know, what, what was happening here in World War II and stuff. Yeah, and he does a good job of bringing that to modern audiences, too, because he's got these themes of these other themes that are more rooted in character. You know, his Geppetto, he gives so much time to his backstory and to that sense of grief and loss that he feels and how that affects how he views the wooden puppet, right? And so we end up with these themes that are, again, resonate today of love and accept your child for who they say they are. You know, I mean, that's something that is both timeless, but it's something that really hits home now. Just so I'm clear, are you talking about the old story? Or are you talking about the Del Toro movie? Del Toro, Del okay. Toro. Okay, okay, I, I just yeah. need to be clear. I need to be clear on that. Okay, first of all, I mean, let's just say that the animation is absolutely beautiful. It's just, yes. a, it's a beautifully made movie. Del Toro can direct his ass off from The Shape of Water, which I did not love that movie, but the direction was great, to Pan's Labyrinth. And he brings all those talents and all those abilities to this particular film, which I think is wonderful. Now, the themes of it, Del Toro has always been really interested in like fairy tales and the darkness of fairy tales. And so I see why he's drawn to this. And I think the film is good. I just don't know why there's like a Pinocchio avalanche last year. 
Because there was the Disney movie. And then there's Del Toro. Like, I genuinely do not understand why everyone wanted to make a Pinocchio movie it's seemingly at the same time. I, I just, I don't understand. I don't know what's going on in the culture. I do not get it. I don't understand it whatsoever. Me either. Yeah, I don't get it either. Well, I don't understand why none of them are about trans. I want to be a real boy. Like, the trans community, like, it hasn't made its way into the to the film. I did not think about that. Interesting. I thought that as well. And one of the things I thought is I would love to see the Wachowskis make a but to your point mark is it not about that so to me the del toro movie and what stands it apart from all of the other adaptations is and this is where i think bringing in the fascist italy background makes an enormous amount of sense because initially i I was thinking okay was this at the actual period that the stories were written in and then obviously not it's like 40 years later so why fascist Mm -hmm. italy and the way i came to think about it was it seems like what del toro is doing is just taking a really really sharp aim at the kind of moralism that the original story is partaking in and most of the adaptations following it are partaking in, according to which Hmm. what it is to be a good and fulfilled and whole person is to do what your parents expect of you and to be like the model Italian citizen, which one of the Del Toro side characters says ominously early on in the movie. And I think Del Toro absolutely rightly picks up on that as a kind of not quite quasi-fascist, but a, a problematic attitude. And the moral that Del Toro wants to push in his story is that becoming a real person is about becoming the best version of yourself. And that's why in the end of the Del Toro movie, spoilers, we don't get a real boy. We get a happy wooden Pinocchio which I think is is a really beautiful spin on the thing and precisely the version of the story that we needed telling in this cultural moment. And that's why I think, Mark, that maybe it is or can be about being trans or about whatever other kind of identity people are interested in now because it's ultimately about how what society expects of you isn't and shouldn't be relevant to how you understand yourself. Well said, Al. Well said. Even in the updated Disney version, he doesn't become a real boy at the end. I think there might be some. I don't want to watch it again to make sure of this, but like I think I there might. Have, what happened? At, at least at the end one. of one of them, it's like some people say he eventually became a real boy, and some people like there's some narration. But I believe it's I accept you for who you are. You don't have to transform from a puppet into a flesh thing. That is outdated thinking, right? <laughs> to think that you should be embarrassed going around and forever striving to be something you're not. I thought it was interesting. I think what the language was in the updated Disney version, which was pretty note for note, very similar to the 1940 animated, but they were very careful to not be so gendered in their language. So I think it was what it means to be a good person. I think in the Pleasure Island sequence, there were girls who were also there. It wasn't all boys. That's right. They were trying to correct some of the gendered language and stuff. So I get the main theme of acceptance, accepting yourself. But what the hell else is going on? Like, like what are other themes that are going <laughs> on that makes this so resonant? Because, yeah, I get it that there is this theme about accepting yourself or who you are, blah, blah, blah. I'm, all, I'm on board with that. Because here's what I'm trying to figure out. And this is what really baffles me. Why is this a story that keeps being retold? And maybe you can help me out with this, Sarah, since you're the writing expert here on the panel, but I genuinely do not get, because honestly, Del Toro's movie was good. The rest of them, I mean, the original was good because I, I was a kid when I first saw it. I'm kind of over this story. Like, I don't understand why people really are drawn to the story as much as they are. I'm going to go out on a bit of a limb here because it's been a while since I've thought seriously about existentialism, but isn't it essentially an existential angst You're talking story? my language, man. You know, I yes. love me some yeah. existentialism. Yes. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Keep going. Keep going. It's a story about wanting to be an idealized version of the thing that you think that you should be and how difficult it is to get there in practice and about how ultimately pointless that is as a as an exercise. And if that's right, and if existentialism is worth anything, which it probably is, I think the story speaks to an element of the human condition, essentially, and that's why it's infinitely retellable, because nobody ever feels like a real person. I think you're onto something there, Al. I think you're on to something. I absolutely agree with that. And that was kind of what I was going to talk about a little bit was that fear also of becoming an adult 
You know, those, mm. that fear of responsibility, the yes. fear of, and a lot Legitimate of those. fear. You should be afraid of bills. Keep going. Absolutely. Keep going. No, absolutely. <laughs> and the way that that's coded when you're a child is obey, right? Is follow the rules, be brave, go to school. And what was funny was I thought that so much of how adulthood was characterized as something to fear was in that Roberto Benini when he plays Geppetto, so the more right. recent Italian version, I thought that one did a really good job of that. And poverty, poverty was also another huge theme there, you know, and that's scary. That was really interesting as well, because there's so much about the original tellings or the earlier tellings of the story are problematic and for similar reasons, because so much is made of like when Pinocchio's good, then his standard of living improves. And like he gets, you know, some nice new clothes, things like that. And if you're happy with your lot, then, you know, everything's going to work out for you. And it's just really maybe another reason why the story keeps getting retold is that there's a lot wrong with a lot of earlier tellings of it. There's a lot of stuff that needs correcting. I do think, Al, that you're onto something, particularly with that existential bent of like trying to be who you're supposed to be as opposed to being who you are and being comfortable with being who you are, even though I'm not completely so like, I mean, I like the most recent movie. I don't ever want to see another Pinocchio movie. I'm done with the story because the original story is weird as fuck. It's really strange. It's, and I'm perfectly fine if they never go to the well again and make another film like this. I don't think you can do anything more with it. I think that Del Toro has told the definitive version of the story and we can end it there. I don't know. Have you seen the Polly Shore version? I am never, <laughs> <laughs> I'm never going to. Huh. I'm never going to watch that. What are the existential themes in the Polly Shore version? In the Polly Shore version? <laughs> Does Polly no. Shore even is know the word existentialism? Does he even know what that no, is? No, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I think he's still doing stand up. I don't know. No, but you know what? He does join the circus and he dates. This is a movie where Pinocchio uh. dates. Wait a minute, he does so, real? Wait, 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 wait. Okay, stop blue, for love. He dates he, the blue fairy, though, right? Or the, the equivalent of the blue fairy. Is that? Uh, I saw that uh, enough uh, of it to see that. Yeah. He, he saves some woman from falling off a cliff. That's right. the, as far as I watched. Yeah. He dates as, as, a, as a wooden boy? This is As a well, wooden boy. That's strange. One of the 14 movie adaptations of Pinocchio is called The Erotic Adventures of Pinocchio. Oh, I saw I and the, that one. Yeah, with no. the, I, I didn't see it either, but the tagline is, it isn't his nose that grows, which I thought was phenomenal. <laughs> that's pretty good. Okay, we are way tagline. off the rails. Okay, Mark, we need you to get <laughs> hey, back Anything that's going to last this long and be in the public domain, and so, like stuff is going to happen with it. And so that's what part of what's interesting about this. Let me stop to tell you about a different podcast. If you're interested in exploring culture from a social scientist's perspective and a touch of humor, we recommend you check out The Social Breakdown, a podcast created by University of Hawaii sociologists Penn, Omar, and Ellen, who use their sociological imagination to make sense of our complex world one topic at a time. The Social Breakdown team, along with the occasional guest, examine a wide variety of topics from love and dyads to the dark web, from conformity and obedience to Buffy the Vampire Slayer. They tackle it all. They also have several episodes on the processes of academia, a PhDer's guide to getting a PhD, and existing in a world of fellow PhDers, if you will. You can find the Social Breakdown's catalog of over 100 episodes on their website, thesocialbreakdown.com, and listen to their show wherever you get your podcasts. When I started this, I was like, why is this even appealing? I did not expect, you know, until I got it well into the Del Toro and the, you know, the newer Italian version there to be any emotional resonance to this whatsoever. Like I was pretty disconnected. I didn't remember the, the original Disney very well. And yeah, seeing the, what I saw that Paul Shore version, or uh, I also saw some of a, I think 2009 Bob Hoskins as Geppetto version that's on <laughs> Amazon prime. And these wow. are just stupid kitty fair that mm-hmm. like just are boring from moment yeah. to moment, boring, boring, exactly. boring, a lot of bad music. And like no child would actually enjoy this. I don't, <laughs> I don't understand why this continues to exist, but that's just because, you know, it's public domain and it can go. Why not? It's, it's a very low risk thing to do. I mean, this Polly Shore version is a Russian made cartoon. It's not like Polly Shore's passion project. It's something that probably we would have liked better if you could see it with the original Russian. I'm just guessing here. Probably it would still be terrible, but part of what made the 2001 Benini version especially bad was seeing it with the 
English voices over the Italians. Like at least mm-hmm, mm-hmm. watch it within the original language and you'll get, it won't seem quite so weird and stilted, but that Russian thing, like just watching it line to line, this is very strange. Like it's just watching bad anime. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was like watching a really bad Barbie movie. Not that is, well, the animation was <laughs> yes Barbie movie Oof. animation. <laughs> but But I do think that there is something and this kind of brings us up to, I guess, where we're going next week, because there is something, particularly with where technology is now, that like with Megan, with AI, like there's something about AI becoming self-aware that the Pinocchio story, though it's written a long time ago, it still kind of resonates. And so I do think that Megan is riffing off of it. I do think that AI, uh, Steven Spielberg's movie they took over from Stanley Kubrick, is riffing off of it. Like there is something, even what'd you say? iRobot, Mark, you include mm-hmm. that as well. That's riffing off of that. Like something about this thing becoming sentient and it's no longer this electronic thing over here, but it's now interacting with me. And then what are the margins between what thing becomes genuinely real and it is still electronic, which I think is worth exploring, particularly next week, which brings us into the Terminator movies, which brings us into a lot of different kind of questions yeah and very modern technology right now you know yeah it's getting really close there i mean it's interesting how the original book and some of the subversions then does not care about the inner life seemingly of pinocchio what is he supposed to know you know he's just been born so some of the versions like this bob hoskins one like make a big deal out of the fact that he was just born yesterday he doesn't know what stealing is like this is why he needs a cricket in the digitally version to tell him Right and wrong, because he literally does not know anything. Whereas, how does he know? I don't like school. He seems to, in the original book, know a lot of things that he shouldn't know because the target audience is not going to care, is my Mm -hmm. imagination. (laughs) He's been created just as the id of all naughty boys. Uh Uh-huh. Right. That's why that's why he knows that's why he knows that school is bad. I thought it was so interesting that in the Del Toro version, they created the puppet out of a piece of wood where the cricket lives. So he mm-hmm. lives in his heart. So he becomes mm. his his heart and it becomes his conscious. His heart becomes something very separate from the puppet because he doesn't know anything. He is basically just a brat who wants to do what he wants to do. Something else I really loved about the Del Toro version is in the book and in a lot of the weirder films, Pinocchio is incredibly irritating as a character. You didn't think he was just kind of cute in the original, in the 1940? I mean, I think... Oh, Lord. No, he was irritating. Changing oh, no, in the 1940... In, in the Disney version. He was version, supposed he's, to be he's, cute he's, in the 1940 version. In the book, he's intensely irritating. And I found him intensely irritating at the beginning in the Del Toro version. I feel like that was deliberate because I, totally. I think one of the interesting things that Del Toro does with the Pinocchio story is to entirely shift the responsibility for the moral development of Pinocchio away from Pinocchio himself and onto like the adults in his life. This is kind of half-formed, but I really felt like the fact that they made Pinocchio this like really annoying, screeching, loud, chaotic mm. mess of a character was a really interesting challenge to grown-up audiences to try and, I think, make the point that it doesn't matter whether a child is bad, chaotic, irritating. It's not on them to make themselves better you know it takes a village whatever it's on the society that they grow it's on the adults to make the kid better Hmm. parenting is hard (laughs) sometimes your kid is like pinocchio doesn't have to be all the time but they're like pinocchio enough to where it can really speak for yourself my kids listen to it i'm not i'm not going to say anything (laughs) to that my kids every now and then listen to this podcast so i'm not going (laughs) to say that they're irritating little shits every now and then (laughs) did you watch guillermo tatar talking about this so on netflix it cues you as soon as you're done with the movie why don't you watch this making of special just so you can see like wow they really made all this crap out of wood or whatever you know for stop motion this is so much more impressive but like you better not take this for granted (laughs) you better not just like (laughs) think that this is just something you can like the Polly Shore version. Well, I, I'm sure even that version, people probably spent so many hours on. That's and, true. And they feel Sad, so proud true. of. I don't but, think uh, anyone's proud of that Polly Shore. Del Toro was describing this initial Pinocchio as the energy of a, you know, a four-year-old boy. And like, oh, that's totally how my son was at that age. And mm-hmm. that's just something that you have to, as a parent, like not say, 
what a brat, what an uncontrollable. You, ha- you have to actually revel in what a phenomenon that is, that it's a shooting star. Stop focusing on what he's breaking and just like that this is a, a lovable creature. <laughs> that should be step one of parenting, I guess, is get out of your own head, try to get in the as hard as it is when you're going to no sleep into the, the mindset of the kid. You learn real fast that it's not about you. <laughs> Absolutely, you do. I'm not a parent, so I have the luxury of just reading it as annoying. <laughs> I also found the creepy doll in the 2019 Italian version pretty endearing by the end. Like, they picked a mm. nice, cutesy actor to do this. Maybe he was kind of channeling a little bit of what Roberto Benini, as his 50-year-old acting like a child self, was trying to do. I can see why this is another thing, like, oh, the French love Jerry Lewis. There's something in the Italian comic sensibility that we Americans don't quite jibe with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's where the Roberto Benini wild slapsticky thing, and somehow that gets transferred into this boy in the new version where it's more palatable, <laughs> certainly. I agree. Yeah. Well, it helps that, it, that there was a child playing a child. <laughs> I could get past that with the older Roberto Benini version, partly. It has this Pee Wee's Big Adventure feel to it, that they made all of the children, all the boys, into at least 20-something-year-old men so that they could be having a fight. Uh, And it's these, yeah, it's exactly like Pee Wee and his nemesis, Francis, or whatever, in the beginning of the Pee Wee's Big Adventure movie. Like, (laughs) that's just a comic trope of adults playing children in this way. I haven't seen that Pee Wee movie in years. I need to watch rewatch that. I, I'm sure it's good. I just haven't seen it in a very long time. The cast in the uh, Del Toro version is just, I'm looking at the IMDb page and it's just, oh, and did you know, fun fact. <laughs> so Tom Kenny, who plays Mussolini in the Del Toro version, was also part of the uh, Polly Shore version. And he played Pinocchio himself in some older version I was seeing on IMDb. He's a... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, he's truly talented. Actually, Tom Kenny is truly talented. He's truly available as a voice actor. (laughs) I think that's more what's going on. I hate to keep returning to this. I just don't know why they keep making this story so often. I do not get it. Like, there's a 1940s version. The most recent Disney version is utterly forgettable. No one's going to remember that movie. The Del Toro movie is going to be, it's going to stand the test of time. But I don't know why there have been so many versions of this tale. I just don't get it. I know I come back to this point an awful lot, but is it, Lawrence, that sometimes, sometimes you got to make a tax write-off and it's in the public domain? <laughs> <laughs> it might be what it is. <laughs> so I got to defend the indefensible at least a couple of times on these podcasts that the new Disney version is the one that I watched First, and I didn't watch any of these all in one sitting. So it was like I would watch some of one and then I would read some of the story or watch some of the other version. Like it was a little disjointed. Mm -hmm. But at least for the first 20 minutes of the new Disney version, I was like, this is okay. This is not like completely offending my sensibilities. Like they're just trying to use better technology Mm -hmm. to update something that fundamentally doesn't need updating. Like the 1941 is so accessible to kids and they would love the little cute animals and that. And like that's what classic Disney is all about. But, you know, if we're going to have this huge technological leap, all this technology, finally, that looks good now in a way that in 2001 or something, if they made it like, no, you don't, it would be scary at that point. But I think we've sort of gotten past the, uh, why am I not remembering the Valley of the Dolls, the Uncanny Valley, Uncanny Valley. Uncanny Valley. when it comes to some of these things, why would you not want to take advantage of it? So I guess ideologically, I don't necessarily have anything terribly against it. It's just by the end of that version, I thought it was boring. I thought it made no sense. I thought saying, you've shown yourself to be good and wise and brave because you made your feet paddle really fast (laughs) to push a raft. That made no, just, just, I was done with it. I mean, but but that movie is just so utterly forgettable. Like, it's fine, but it's terrible at the same time. And it's not terrible as though the craftsman didn't work hard on it or the director was bad. It's just unnecessary. And it reminds me of so many. Disney remakes where they're going back. So like, for example, The Lion King. The Lion King has all this amazing talent in the film, has Beyonce in it. I think Beyonce's a terrible actress, by the way. Uh, but she, she, sings, she sings good. She's hot a terrible take. actress. That's not a hot take. That's, that's, the, that's the damn truth. She's not a good actress. Because um, she talks really weird. Anyway, but I'm probably <laughs> digging a hole here. But anyway, is Disney going back? And like, I think that The Beauty and the Beast was good. I'm really struggling to find. Cinderella was decent. But other than that, it's not even a cash grab because they didn't send this to the movie theater. Like, I don't know what they're doing. 
but they're kind of ruining these great films by remaking them and making them less successful. It's, it's really I don't know if I agree that that's ruining the film or ruining your memory of the 1940 film, but it just seemed, I think, as you said, Lawrence, just unnecessary. I just, who is yeah. calling for this live action version that's basically note for note? And even a lot of the computer animation was mimicking it was. the original animation. But it stripped out the soul of the movie. It took away the music. The music in the 1940 version is so great. Like, I mean, I'm sorry. And there Mm -hmm. were some great singers. Cynthia Erivo is amazing. She is. But the original, When You Wish Upon a Star, there's just nothing else like it. I mean, God, I got no strings. The actor's life for me was like completely removed from the new film. Like why was the cat and the fox even in the new film? It was just because we got a talented person to do the voice and they look kind of cool. Plot wise, they were not necessary whatsoever. What did you feel about that interpretation in the new Italian version, which had a lot of like people with full animal heads on? Yeah. But the cat and the fox were just like two weird guys with whiskers. Yeah. That were very creepy. I, re- I, I really liked it. I said, like, the, my sense was that the thing that the story is trying to warn children about in that instance is like real people who might be like creepy to you and try and steal your money. But the animal heads and stuff, they were all, I'm kind of trying to remember, were they all in the dream world in that weird kind of dream space? There seemed to be a kind of sharp divide in the Italian version between things that were happening in a kind of normal world and things that were happening in a weird dream world but maybe i'm misremembering hmm. yeah now i'm trying to remember I, re- I really loved how awful all of the animals they were all horrible it was great yeah they disgusting. were disgusting but they even brought in like they hung pinocchio oh yeah i mean i did not need that visual but there you go definitely turn off my kids because you know i mean that harkens back to some very dark stuff in black history. So that, that oh, definitely absolutely. turned my so kids Lawrence, off. So, you had them watch all three of these new ones. Or, uh, is that what you're saying? I that mean, you- I didn't make them, but like I was watching them. And you know how kids are. Yeah. They kind of creep in and out, and they kind of walked with it. And they, uh, oh, what was uh, their favorite version? The most recent one, the, uh, Del Toro. The Del Toro. Okay. Without, okay. without a question, their favorite. Yeah, without a question. But they definitely, so like I think my middle son, he was like doing something, and he like went into the kitchen. And he caught that. He was like, I don't want to see that. And he just left. I mean, so <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just you have to be careful with, with the imagery. You don't have to be quite as careful with hanging imagery in Italy. I think it's not a it's not quite as sensitive a thing there. Yeah, you're probably right about that. And I wonder, if, you know, along with the slapstick thing, there's a hyper emotionality that seems like the fact that when uh, Benini is playing Pinocchio, he can suddenly go, oh, whoa, 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 I'm so sad. That's like a, a Shakespearean <laughs> clown laughing. There's no equivalent to that in American entertainment where somebody just suddenly go. And so even him being hung, when Benini himself is being hung, he can be a little funny about it or whatever, like that there's something. And then he's been recovered by the Blue Fairy and they have this whole, are you going to take your medicine? Or not slapstick gag. Oh, no, no, I cannot take, I would rather die than take the medicine, you know? (laughs) So I I don't know. I can kind of get a little bit into the Italian mindset. I feel like this, you know, it's like getting into British humor that this particular kind of droll thing or, you know, that Americans can get into Monty Python. Whereas like my cousins were just like, oh, Monty Python, they're a bunch of jerks. I think was what my cousins said. Like, <laughs> I mean, well, get... they were. <laughs> so yes, getting a little into the clownish mode. So I don't know if that is a good response at all to, it's okay to have casual hangings in your children's movies. <laughs> Maybe yeah, comedy doesn't always, yeah, it doesn't always Mark, that <laughs> is the strangest statement I have ever heard in my entire life. Yeah, I just wonder if that goes, if there's, if that goes with the, Something in the fundamentally to us foreign mindset that is behind a lot of the humor as well, that that is also behind the use of violence. And I wonder about that kind of stuff. Just, you know, everybody complains. Kids in America today, like we let them see horribly violent stuff. Oh, but can't see a boob. Mm -hmm. You know, we have these weird double standards. And so these are just, you know, a moving target in terms of the particular social mores in a particular country at a particular time of what seems too traumatic to see. Like, I just don't know that there's a well-founded baseline of like, 
what actually is harmful to show to your kids. Like it just is always just something that we're nervous about as parents yeah. <laughs> and like hopefully, you know, can guide them through whatever, you know, but at this point we've sort of have to give up if they're going to see whatever they're going to see on the internet, seeing Pinocchio get hung. Maybe that's something you could talk them through as well. Let me put it. <laughs> that just reminded me, does anyone remember what the, uh, the name for pleasure Island was in the, in the book? No, what was the name? Is the, the land of boobies. <laughs> I mean, I kind of think that's a translation thing because it's not boobies as in the land of breasts. It's the land of no, it's the land of like, they wish <laughs> the land of boobies, which is a place full of cocaine, is what it said in the. <laughs> okay, that might be the end right there, right there. We, we found. A- Thanks for listening, well, guys. This, here, this, so, the, why does pleasure the, the fact that in the new Disney version they kept Pleasure Island? I know what it sound like a sex shop. Yeah, and in fact, I listened to part of when I was searching for podcasts about Pinocchio. The first one I found was like some conspiracy theory guy talking about the Jeffrey Epstein character of "We'll take these kids away and they will never come back the same." Oh my god! <laughs> How did the new Disney? version do at making up for the terrible anti-semitism and like anti-gypsy racism in the original were there any nods to that luke evans played the coachman mm-hmm. with mm. some weird makeup but like there were no obvious jewish stereotypes or anything that i could <laughs> see there i know that the other thing like we're on pleasure island so we have root beer right all the root beer you can drink at which point they hadn't even really established in this version the disney version but does pinocchio eat and drink that's a thing mm, in the yeah. original he story. Smokes. He's yeah. really hungry. He's hungry all the time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's like a main driving plot force in the original <laughs> version that even though he's made of wood, it's beer and cigars in the, in cigars, the old yeah. Disney version, which were, oh, we've cleansed those. Our, our kids will not have to witness the CGI people smoking cigars. <laughs> that would be terrible. Oh, Wouldn't it be good to show someone smoking in the new version and getting sick over it? Like that seems like a educational. Yeah, smoking is bad. Yeah. <laughs> we can all get behind that, right? Yeah. That original Disney does a really good job of showing what it's like to go too gung-ho on the cigars when you're not used to them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> also in the new version, Pinocchio is not necessarily down with the violence on Pleasure Island. I, I had forgotten this, but introduced for the Disney version is. It's not just that they're running around and playing and like some of the versions of this, like Toy Island or whatever, actually look like, well, this is kind of what the Magic Kingdom or what Mm -hmm. a well-catered party is shooting for. It's just the excess. (laughs) But on the Disney version, they make it clear, like, it's not just partying. It's we have a house of destruction where you get to punch people and you get to get a slingshot and fling things at people's eyes. And Pinocchio, at least in the new version. Is not altogether down with that. Maybe that's the explanation of why it's taking longer for him to turn into a donkey than anybody else. <laughs> I'm sure that's something that needs a, a really a detailed in-universe explanation. Yeah, it doesn't need one at all. <laughs> We're perfectly fine. We're good. Well, I like the fact that in the old Disney version, once he turns partially into a donkey, he stays partially a donkey for the rest of the film in the fish mm-hmm. and stuff. I could see why that would be disturbing, like to kids that no body dysmorphia, that's permanent. You don't just get to push a button and you're back to the old you like you've behaved this way. And that's going to hang on at least until the divine intervention of the final act comes along. (laughs) Very quickly forgiven by Geppetto. However, he was like, oh, well, okay, let's just get out of this whale. We were all young once. (laughs) Yeah. I'll show you my tail one day. (laughs) We haven't talked about the whale thing yet. I mean, that's the the final story beat and it's in all of them. Yeah. And it is sort of one of the most famous things. And I was trying to think like, how did Jonah actually get out of the whale? Did he have some change of heart? Was there a Lawrence fill us in on the biblical? Man, I don't know shit about Jonah, man. I don't, I don't know. I, I think that he had a change of heart and then the well just spit him up, if I remember correctly. But I don't think there was like any kind of mechanism. Like he like messed with the thing in the whale's mouth and it got sick and it spit him up. It was just he had a change of Jonah heart. Jonah prayed he, for three days. There you go. And the whale spit him and up. And got rid of his, I think, arrogance at, I'm the prophet of doom yes. for Nineveh, and I'm so self-righteous as the prophet, and he just needed to be knocked down a peg. So uh, there's nothing comparable. Seemingly, Geppetto's okay being indefinitely in the whale. <laughs> that he could, At least yeah. in some of the versions. He has plenty of supplies. Apparently, there's a deleted scene. If you look in your Disney Plus extras, there's a deleted scene from when they're in the belly of the whale, they're about to run out of food, 
and the cat actually tries to eat the goldfish. I couldn't mm. get myself to watch that deleted scene because I it was too. I don't want to think about that. That's too, too dark for you. Wow. But in any case, once once Pinocchio That's gets dark. there, it seems like it's just his bravery or his fast feet or something that enables him to rescue in quotes everybody else. Did you guys get anything other than the fish was pretty scary in some of the versions? Like <laughs> it's spectacle. Like honestly, I, I mean, I don't yeah. use anything mm. deep there. It's just it's a spectacle thing. It's something that like in the animated version. It's fine and it's cool, but you get to really like go in with CG or you get to really go in with the Del Toro. And so it's very like much more of a spectacle. I don't think there's anything deep, although Al probably thinks something deep. About <laughs> no, there's something that not very deep. It, well, maybe it did strike me in the Del Toro version how very sphincter like the blowhole was. It seemed, <laughs> wow. it seems like they'd had, seems wow. like they'd had meetings about Whoa. making that as visceral as possible. So let's give our Freudian interpretation. There we go. <laughs> the whale was going through the, the retention, <laughs> but then he had to expel the foreign elements. I don't know what to make of this. In the new Disney version, there's a moral choice that somehow introduced newly for this version, puppet slash puppeteer, because we need to have a strong black woman that can be triumphing over, you know, that is his friend, offers him, says, hey, I got rid of the bad puppeteer off screen. <laughs> He's now in jail. <laughs> right, right. That's so satisfying for the audience to have that off screen. <laughs> Although in the original 1941, none of the bad guys get any comeuppance whatsoever. He just like avoids them. But so mm-hmm. at least having something off screen referred to. <laughs> but she gives, she says, I know you enjoyed playing on the stage. It was just the fact that you were captured that was bad. But now you could come back under new management. I'm a kindly person. You could be fully self-actualized. And he chooses, no, I must go after my father, who I think he knows, at least that he's lost at sea, if not actually in the belly of the thing. And mm-hmm. so that is the moment of the key moral choice there. As if he couldn't come back after later. he does this yeah. thing. Like, yeah, exactly. Is there no way? Is it duty to family or pursuing your dreams? Is there no way to really do both? But there was even the 1940 version, the animation, like water, was really tough to animate. And that mm. was, I think, ahead of its time. And, you know, just watching it yesterday, it was gorgeous. It was really gorgeous to see the bottom of the ocean and the ripples in the water and just everything about that whole sequence was pretty amazing, I think, for the time and still holds up. Hey, kids, don't worry about why Jiminy can breathe for, for that <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, it would be very sad if like just a dead cricket were to like float up. And that's, you, can't, you, can't, you can't have that in the kids movies, man. You got to have He's got blue fairy magic. You can have a talking puppet. You can have a cricket that breathes underwater. The fact that the cricket's motivation is to get a shiny new badge. I had very, uh, it's a wonderful life. Clarence gets his wings sort of. That's uh, true. Vibes from that. In the 1940 Disney movie, Jiminy Cricket is also a very horny bug. He's <laughs> standing there. Is he really? He's standing there like when he's doing give a little whistle and he's like all chasing after the, the clockwork milkmaid and then he's at the puppet show <laughs> and there's the can-can dancers and he's mm-hmm. like not interested until he sees them. Whoa! I just Wooden it, puppets I just, with petticoats? <laughs> Whoa! Oh my God. And I just thought it was very, that I thought that was very funny that Not to mention the blue fairy. The most, oh my gosh. Absolutely. Oh God, yeah, he goes all red. And I just thought it was very funny that 1940s, the most morally upstanding character, still he's going to go bug-eyed at a raunchy puppet. And that's just <laughs> that's just the way men are and you're never going to be able to change that. No. To be honest, I did not notice that. Leave it to Al <laughs> to notice some weird-ass shit. I've got like to notice that. the horny cricket. <laughs> One, I don't know what the significance of the, in the original one that Pinocchio, like the blue fairy is his peer at first mm-hmm. when she's trying to feed him the medicine. And then suddenly mm. they only reproduce this in the Italian version is, and now she's grown up and he's going to call her mama. Mm-hmm. Like what? <laughs> and the explanation no is just like, well, how did that happen? Well, it's a secret. And that's how he knows that she can do the kind of magic that could change him from wood into a boy. Like that mm-hmm. is the mm-hmm. plot significance. But what the Freudian significance or whatever of you're my peer now, you're my mama now, and now I have to deal, you know, is the ideal that, you know, he would get Geppetto and the mama blue fairy and they would all live together with the snail maid. I don't really understand what the goal is. (laughs) It's not a popular opinion, but maybe we need to have a female director 
we need some female eyes on this story because it still seems to be problematic (laughs) (laughs) gender-wise. Isn't it interesting that how radically different the whole story would be if it was about being a real girl? Mm-hmm. It would be not being different. a real boy. It would be instead of going to school. What is the equivalent for the for the time period? Finishing gonna, school, finishing school, maybe I don't know. Go to yeah. go to sewing camp or yeah. <laughs> whoa, so whoa. <laughs> I guess we've had enough of these. The girl who wants to be the warrior or whatever in so many other Disney and children related or even you know game of thrones i'm thinking like yeah that has been a trope that has happened a lot so i don't know if we actually need this but i would allow at least one or two more versions of this if they do something with gender that would be at least a little interesting to me mm-hmm. i'd be interested in that i'm good i'll pass on all of it I'll pass i don't think the kids would want to watch <laughs> any good. of them i don't i don't even believe <laughs> i'd have to hear get a larger sample of whether lawrence your kids might have seen because of you and your tastes a wider range of stuff so that they would enjoy the del Toro thing, but I'm not going to be convinced until I get a larger sampling whether any of these are good for kids because certainly the original Disney one, as we've all, you know, it's like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory are like actually traumatic for a lot of kids. <laughs> kids of love to be traumatized though. <laughs> kids love to be traumatized they like really that. They really do. I'm, I'm, I'm being serious. Like, I, I do mm. think like yeah. Ronald Dahl has showed us that you can do some dark stuff with kids' stories, and they'd be perfectly fine. Like, you'd be surprised, you know, what kids can handle. I I genuinely think that, like, some dark stuff is good. I just think that we're done with Pinocchio. But other dark things, bring it on. Well, maybe we should talk a little bit more about those things in our after talk, which people can get. Oh, good transition. uh, uh, Look at you. Subscribe to us at patreon.com slash pretty much pop. Thanks to the three of you. Thanks, listeners. So long, everybody. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Bye. For more Pretty Much Pop, try prettymuchpop.com. And man, that was a good episode, and we talked for another 25 minutes, continuing to have fun just for the supporters. Go to patreon.com slash prettymuchpop, or sign up for the supporter feed right through your Apple Podcasts application, and you'll henceforth never have to hear any more ads from me. Thanks to the Partially Examined Life and OpenCulture.com for providing exposure to this podcast.